0: Hello, oh, and welcome to Church for the City's podcast in Yuma, Arizona with lead pastor Tyrone P. Jones. Our mission is for people to encounter the reality and presence of God. For sermon videos and next steps, visit us at ctcfamily.com. Now join us for the message. Amen. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to take out your Bible. We're going to go to Romans chapter one I'm going to jump right on into uh, verses 8 through 15. Romans 1, 8 through 15, if you'll stand with me, sorry, Uh, you'll stand. If you have your Bibles, I'm gonna read out of the ESV throughout the message of some of the verses on the screen, will either be ESV, CSB, or NLT, but I'll read here out of the ESV. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. both yours and mine. For I want you to know, brothers, that I have often pretended, sorry, intended to come to you, but thus far I have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also, who are in Rome, can you say amen? And you may be seated, you may be seated. Um, you know, it's, it's um, oftentimes when whenever you hear this statement about uh, maybe it goes something like this, it really brings life into perspective. O- oftentimes that statement is given usually on the heels of maybe a tragedy or a death or something that's affected someone's life in a negative sense. It's usually in that time you, someone say, you know, this really brings life into perspective. And, and that, that's true. But, you know, there's a lot of good things that brings life into perspective. It's a lot of good things. A lot of good things when you hold that, that child Maybe it's your first child, second child, third child. But when you hold that child in your arms for the first time, that brings life into perspective. And when that child graduates and moves on to their career, it it brings life into perspective. It brings life into perspective for me when I walk into the office and I see my son and my daughter sitting behind the desk or uh, leading a team of others sharing with them or telling me what to do, whatever, whatever, whatever's on their mind. But it kind of, that brings life into perspective. When that grandchild comes, that, that brings life into perspective. You, you get this whole idea that life is really, truly designed to live beyond us. And though uh, tragic things do happen, life just happens. There's no stopping that. There's just no control over that. But, but when we learn to bring life into perspective, when we embrace those things that are just true gifts from God, I think our whole perspective of life just simply changes. You start to see the good in him. You become more thankful about things uh, in life. You just kind of live with the more, more of a gratitude and it's interesting, we're still actually kind of in the introduction. The introduction of the book of Romans will, will go one more week next week. But we're still in kind of the introduction. And, and that's kind of the perspective that, that Paul is taking. He's, he's, he's bringing up things. He's, he's introducing thoughts. He's saying things that really has kind of brought things before him that makes life worth living. To the point, and I think I've titled this un, an obligation or obligated or something of that nature. He, he, he's coming to the place to realize because of the good that God has done, he senses an obligation of his own life. There's a, there's a response that we have. There's a response that we have because of who God is and what he's done there's a response that we take on and I'll, I'll share more about that toward the end. And, and we get this though from how Paul begins this particular section. He introduces himself in those first seven verses and then in the eighth verse, he starts out by giving thanks. He says, I, first, first. And it's interesting he says first and never says second anymore in the writing, but he says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. It's almost like the thing that was the most important for him at the moment was thanking god for the people that he was writing to thanksgiving and praise throughout paul's writings has always been part of his christian uh experience but he uses the word here eucharist and those of you that come from uh, different traditions of Christianity, you know, Eucharist is the word that we use for the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Sometimes the Lord's Supper can be made so grave, uh, you know, because it's, it's, and it's a solemn moment indeed, but it can be made to, to feel like it's something that we have to approach uh, with with a fear. We approach it with a reverence, but not necessarily of fear, for uh, I, I've shared with you oftentimes that that uh, whenever we used to do communion in the old, in, in my grandfather's church, we would do communion on the night that was not a regular church night, because my the, the thought and the process was that the only people who should partake in the Lord's supper uh, should be Christians. So they thought the only the way to do that is to have it on a separate night and not do it when non-church people probably would come to church. It would be odd nights, you know, communion is going to be on Tuesday night. And we would do communion with feet washing. Uh, and and th- that that's also an interesting uh, thing, washing other people's feet. There's a scriptural principle uh, to that. You just don't see much of it going on uh, nowadays in Christianity. And I wish, honestly, I wish there was... More of it. I've always threatened that one of these Sunday mornings, you're going to walk in and I'm going to bust out the buckets. And we're just going to tell people to take their shoes off and, and let's see how humble you really, uh, really are. I, I can imagine folks looking around the church and saying, She looks clean. I'll wash her feet, right? I mean, I can imagine people uh, doing that. But, but during those times when we would come in for communion, my grandfather was a master at making you feel absolutely terrified if you took communion and you've sinned and haven't done anything about that sin. If you've lied, if you've looked at a woman and lusted, if, you, if you've done anything outside of the will of God, he was a master at making you feel like I'm gonna drop dead in front of everybody right here, right now. Because of course, of course I sinned, right? And then he would do this thing of giving. So after everybody's eyes are bulging, then he would say, okay, so this is what we're going to do. I'm going to give you some time to go seek forgiveness. I mean, you would see folks scatter all over the church. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I thought wrong, I'm sorry. I lied, I'm sorry. I told you I was going to be there and I didn't show. I mean, folks are scattering all over the church. Now, there's a, there's a, there's a truth to the fact of being in a place where you can receive the Lord's Supper in a manner of where you understand and acknowledge that Christ indeed has died for your sins. So the moment that you approach communion is not necessarily from a fear and a terror, what if I have? Because I'm telling you, I'm looking at a whole lot of folks that have. So let's just cut to the chase. Turn to your name and say, you have to. Yeah, so let's just cut to the chase. So, so, so but, but this is what the Eucharist is all about. We come to the place when we come to the table of the Lord because we have sinned. That's why we come to the table of the Lord with thanksgiving. We come to the table of the Lord giving thanks to God because I'm able to receive these elements that represent Jesus Christ because he has died for my sins. Are y'all following me on that? And so it's a celebration of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is using the same term to say, I I just, I'm so bursting with, with joy and celebration. I'm giving thanks for you. He's giving thanks for them be, because of the life transformation that's taken place in their life. They've, they've come from what they were to who they now are. They've come from sinners to now sinners saved by grace who, who understand and know what Jesus Christ has done for them. And I, I often think about that even among our own congregation. Many of you know or you don't know, but... I'm telling you that everybody that you're sitting next to is somebody that's made a 180 in their life. Everybody you're sitting next to, no matter how good they might have been, they've made a 180 in their life. God, Christ has absolutely changed their life around. And it's a joy to be in a place where you can look at the person next to you and just celebrate what God has done. Some of you are married to those folks that Christ has turned around. Some of you are raising children, and they're people that Christ has turned around. You now walk into a house of a friend, and you see that Christ has absolutely turned their life Around. We need to spend more time thanking God for people's life that's been absolutely changed. Absolutely changed. When I pop in here on a Wednesday night and see 80, 90, 100 youth standing in the front shouting unto the Lord, you can't tell me that that ain't a reason to give God. Thanks. When I see people leading worship, when I see people standing in this pulpit who I know, friends and family, that is a reason to give God thanks. Can you say amen? amen. And I also think it's good to give God thanks for where you are now in your life. Wherever that is, it's the Lord that's initiated that. I, I, I'm, I'm gonna tell you, and you need to know this, you might have had a desire to be better but you couldn't do it on your own. As a matter of fact, every aspect of trying that you've done has just went to failure. You, you just end up being consumed with trying to be better. And how many know, when, I, when, I, when you spend your time thinking what I won't do, that's the very thing you end up doing. Paul talks about that in Romans 7, and we'll get to that probably in 2025. But somewhere we'll, we'll get to that. But anything that's been changed in your life, It's because the Lord is doing it. And and sometimes we have bad days thinking about how we have been instead of having good days and thanking God on who we are becoming and what God is doing in our life. Any new dispositions in our life, just think about it. You've been raised from death to life. Sometimes we thank God that I was a good person made better. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Sometimes we thank God that I was a bad person made good. Wrong. You were a dead person made alive in Christ Jesus. And so the very things that at one time that you hated, now you find in yourself embracing those things that at one time you thought you were turning away from. And so Paul gives thanks for them, but he also gives thanks for their faith, he talks about them being believers and how their reputation has went around the ancient world. Mind you, the only world that they knew at that time was pretty much around the Mediterranean world. But he gives thanks to them that their faith is not just known in Rome, there in Italy, it's it's known throughout the world. It's a faith that's been proclaimed. It's a faith that's been communicated. It's a faith that's been picked up by others. And because of that, the, the church in Rome has grown, but also the gospel is spread. I, I can't help when I read that to, to not think about CTC and what, and what a statement it would be. For people to say, if someone was writing to us and they said, I, you know, I'm sending this letter to the church in Yuma, Church for the City, and I want to say to you that your faith has gone around the world. That people around the world are being infected and affected by the faith that we have. We know that that's our heart throughout our community and throughout our city, that people will know indeed that from this place, the gospel is being preached and lives are being uh, transformed. The church growth, church growth has always been contingent upon the openness of believers about their faith. It's always contingent upon that. It's us who are to be open about our faith, that we live it out loud that we're not ashamed to talk about it. And I'll talk about that more next week, about not being ashamed of the gospel. But, but, but it's us living out loud. It's us telling other people about what Christ has done in our lives. That's how people get infected by the good of God. Something appeals to them. And you might say, I may not have the right words. I'm not eloquent. You, this is what you do have. You know what he's done for you. You know your story. You know the story of your family and your life. And I'm telling you, with all the bad news out there, it's good for people to know that there's somebody in, on my block or somebody in my school or somebody on my job, when everything is going to hell in a handbasket, somebody is saying, but hey, hey, I got good news. There is a God, there is a Savior who will do some amazing things in your life. Can you say Amen. And this message went out from Rome without social media, without YouTube. There was no TV preachers. And this message went out. How did it go out? People were telling people about Jesus. They didn't count on the YouTube channel or the social media. Thank God we got YouTube. That's why we got you. But the the point of the matter is we want the gospel to be spread because our life is a witness to what Christ has done. I love what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said about this on this passage, on this thought. He says, a revival never needs to be advertised. It always advertises itself. Read the history of the church. Whenever revival breaks out in a little group, it does not matter how small the news spreads and curiosity is awakened and people come and say, how can we get a hold of this? Man does not need to advertise it, it becomes known. It spreads throughout the whole world. It happened here. This is revival. This is Pentecost. This is the work of the Holy Spirit and the news had spread like wildfire in the ancient world with its poor means of communication and its absence and lack of advertising media. And he closes it. Isn't it time we began to think in New Testament terms? I love it. This testimony of this dear young lady that was baptized today. Did you hear what she said? her friend was expressing the love of God and the goodness of God. And she said, I want what you got. That's the kind of life that we want to live. So he gives thanks for them, but he also prays for them. That's in verses nine and 10. And it gives us some insight, honestly, to Paul's prayer life. And uh, he, he said he never failed to pray for him. And I, and I certainly know that the real work of ministry is prayer. That's that's the real word. Preaching can only be the result of a ministry of prayer. Prayer always has to come first. Any sermon that's preached that has not been bathed in prayer has no chance of bearing real, real fruit. Preaching that doesn't have prayer in it or is not bathed with prayer, it's, it's, it's like going to an artificial tree. You, you, you ain't gonna get nothing but some, some fake stuff. Prayer is absolutely the key. So he gives us some insight to his prayer life. But also, he did make this statement, and I'm going to come back to that, that he, that he wanted to get to Rome. Now, mind you, I've shared this several weeks now. He's never been there. It's, it's the only place that I believe, and uh, in, in, I believe I'm right, that he has not, he wrote to them before he had been there. And he said that I, 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 it's my, it's I'm praying that God will open up an opportunity for me to get there. But, but we know that his plans was hindered for various reasons. Chapter 15 of Rome of, of uh, Romans talks about that, that he wanted to get to Rome and then go on to Spain, and, uh, but his plans were, uh, were hindered. But he learned to do something that I think all of us should do uh, because all of us got plans and desires and hopes and And sometimes we can get overwhelmed with our plans and desires and hopes, and uh, things don't always go in that manner. Paul learned how to graciously submit his life into the hands of God and just recognize there was a value in even the things that was delayed in our life. There's a, there's a value to it. Paul did eventually uh, get to Rome, he did get there. He didn't get there in the manner that he wanted. He actually got there under arrest and uh, was, was imprisoned or put in jail and eventually, as you know, was beheaded. But and so, so God's plan for him to get to Rome was in the cards, but it wasn't in the manner that he, that he thought but it does speak to us about our planning and the way that we approach life. It's always better for us to give into God's perfect plans instead of the ones that we write and the ones that we, that we make. Our lives are so much better when we trust God for whatever he's doing in our life. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes what God, do, what God is doing is mysterious. He doesn't always unfold it. He doesn't always show us. He doesn't always let us know what he's up to. But I'm telling you, the scripture is clear, that there is a way that seems right to the Lord. That's Proverbs 16, 25. But it, there's a way that seems right to man, but it ends in death. Oftentimes when we just want to orchestrate and make things happen our own way in spite of any challenges, it doesn't always end well. What's better is what Psalm 18:30 says, the plans and the ways of the Lord are perfect. The plans and the ways of the Lord are perfect. And we're an impatient body. body. Now, can I just tell you something? Uh, Whenever I preach, I pray that the Lord will help me know when I hit an area that needs a little more time. And I can tell you, I just hit it. Because y'all don't know what to do with this. You sitting here thinking, you mean to tell me that the struggles I'm going through might be all God? Yeah. You mean the hindrances in my life might be all God? Yeah. You mean the things that I'm really hoping for and planning for and dreaming for and vision that I have might be all God? Uh, yeah. I would say that's a yeah. That's a yes. And, and we don't like to be held up. We don't like to be restricted. We don't like to be hindered. Sometimes we even think when some things take place that God is doing, sometimes we think it's the devil or we think it's other folks, and we start, I mean, we go into hot houses, we go see palm readers, we do rain dances, I mean, we do some everything to make things happen when what we need to learn how to do is to graciously trust the will of the Almighty God in our lives not all of your plans are God's plans. You're not that smart. Not all of your plans are God's plans. And, and so we learn to walk in a manner where we absolutely trust him. Do we make plans? Yes. Do we pray? Yes. Do we have confidence? Yes. But is our confidence in our plans or is our confidence in God? James 4, 13, 16 says it this way. Look here. You who say, today or tomorrow, we're going to a certain town and we'll stay there for a year, we will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? We can just camp right there. How do you know, now listen, I'm hoping that when I get home and I turn on my TV, the Raiders are beating the Steelers down. (laughs) But I know, ain't no need of me making no plans. (laughs) For that one, it's in the hand of the Almighty God. In the name of Jesus. And so how do you know what your life would be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog; It's here a little while. Then it's gone. And isn't that the truth? We really don't know beyond this breath. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you're boasting about your own pretentious plans, and all such boasting is evil. And so we pray and we submit ourselves to the will of God. Y'all doing all right? Amen. He says, I want to get there to you because I, I want to be a strengthening to you, I want to be an encouragement. He's simply saying, I, I wanna help, I wanna help the church. Hadn't been there, I wanna help the church. It's the same things that we do when we send teams in, to our church plants. It's, just, it's to help them, it's to strengthen them, it's to impart some gifts in them. Those gifts are, you just never know what, what, what it might be. It might be some spiritual gifts in which some dynamic things take place, or it could be just the gift of preaching or just the, the gift of presence. How many know sometimes just being present when people are in distress? is a gift, just being present, just being, being there to bring comfort and presence. And it, it's a wonderful way for all of us to think about our particular lives. Every one of you have the ability to bring strength to others. And I'll, I'll deal more with that uh, before I wrap this up. Every one of us have the uh, ability to, to, to pour out whatever God has put in you. The Spirit of God is invested in you. The Holy Spirit is invested in you. God the Father is invested in you. And and you have a valued treasure that you're caring about. And you being you in Christ Jesus should always be a help and a strength to others. We want to do that locally. We want to do that particularly in the places that we go, in the areas that we serve, the people's lives that we're in. Just be a help. Just be a a strength. He says that my, my hope, though, is that there would be some encouragement. You would be encouraged from me, and I would be encouraged by you. I'm here to tell you, everybody needs encouragement. I I don't care how how happy people are, how excited people are. We all could use some encouragement. You, You know why I know that? Every one of us are fighting a spiritual battle every day. And how many know warfare will wear you down? It'll wear you down. We're, we're fighting a battle every day. Different people have different challenges. Maybe it's a home life. Maybe something in, with their employer or something in their company. Everybody has, with their children, whatever. Everybody has different battles. Everybody has different struggles. And we all could use encouragement. Don't, don't think just because a person is in a certain position that they don't need to be encouraged. I'm telling you. Can I just tell you this? Pastors are humans too. Y'all know that? I'm human, not a robot, not a robot, human. And people's words can affect us. People's words can affect you. It's, it's true. I've told you this. One of the first things I do when I walk off the stage is go down and ask Lady V, do you think the people understood the message? Because that helps me no matter what anybody say, because I'm telling you, I've been at that door greeting people where somebody said, You know, you said this, and that ain't never worked out in my life. Or you or you or you spoke about this and, and I don't ever see that happening, or you said this this way. And you you know what happens when I get in my car? I can have a hundred people say something good, but you know the one I remember the one comment. The one comment of the one negative thought. Am I the only one human here? And so people can use encouragement. We all can. And I'm telling you, encouragement really helps us through those journeys and through those battles. So he says, listen, I'm coming because I want to be encouraged by you. I want to be encouraged. And at the same time, I want to be an encouragement. And then he said this. He talked about his plans when he visits. Uh, He said, I don't want you to think that I haven't tried to get there. He's already said that, but he reiterates it. But he says, I'm looking for a harvest when when I come. But he wants them to know because they're thinking, you know, this is Rome. Rome then was like New York City. It, It was like the place, right? So it's like, out of all the places you've been, Paul, why haven't you been to Rome? This is the center of everything going on in the ancient world. He says, I've planned many times to be there. But each time I was hindered, there's one particular passage in in Acts 16, and this one will be on the screen, where Paul did have intentions, but there was divine intervention and direction that took place in his life. Acts 16, 6 through 10, this is Paul traveling in a ship. Luke is with him for sure. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. They had been forbidden, listen to this, they had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they came to Mycenae, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. It's it's a real clear picture, and thank God God does this. It's a real clear picture of how God intervenes and sometimes divinely steps into our life and directs our path. I mean, it's as literal to me as you've taken a step to go this way, and in midair, you end up going this way, and you don't know how it happened. It's because God steps in and intervenes. Even times, things that we think ought to be the right thing and ought to be good. And I'm here to tell you there's nothing better than allowing God to intervene in your life and let him redirect your path. He says, during the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. After you've seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So here's Paul going one direction, believing I got to get there and I got to preach the gospel. And God hindered and God hindered and God hindered and then gives him a vision and said, this is where you need to go. God does that in our life. And we, you know, one of the things that you ought to pray when you wake up in the morning or however you do your prayers is, Lord, let me be a vessel that's used by you in whatever manner you want. It's, it's no accident when you head to go this direction to a store and maybe you end up stopping at this place and there's somebody that you run into that needs, a, needs to be prayed for. There's no accidents in that. That's God being God. That's God intervening. That's God. I shared in my devotional, I think it was yesterday, uh, yesterday morning, that oftentimes went to the hospital to see one person, prayed for them, but on my way out saw another person, and honestly, that's who the Lord really wanted me to spend time with and pray. That's God giving direction. And he says, I'm hoping for a harvest, not just in Rome but outside of the church, that that 30-fold, 60-fold, even 100-fold that Jesus talks about. And then he makes this concluding statement, and I'll give some application. He says, here's what I want you to know. I'm very eager to preach the gospel. I'm very eager to preach the gospel. He says, I feel like I'm I'm under obligation. I'm obligated to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says that because he has a debt. Jesus has saved him. So his debt, it's not that he owes anybody anything financially. And it's not that they've done anything for him that he feels indebted to them. He's indebted to them because he knows what Jesus has done for him. And the debt that he owes others is for them to hear the same gospel message. It's it's that mindset that all of us should have. I am indebted to my brother who doesn't know Jesus. I don't owe him any money. He hasn't done anything for me, but I'm indebted to him. I'm indebted to my sister who needs to know Jesus Christ. I'm indebted to my neighbor who is far from God. I'm indebted to my employer who just speaks as an atheist and, and just acts completely foolish. I'm indebted to them. What do I owe them? I owe them an opportunity to hear about the love of Jesus. It's a debt that all of us should carry. It's a debt that never gets empty. Until your dying days, you ought to feel indebted to others who don't know Jesus Christ, it's not enough for me to get satisfied that I know I'm on my way to heaven, and everybody in my house is on my way to heaven, is on their way to heaven. When I got neighbors next door dying and going to hell, I'm still indebted. Are you following me on this? And he says I owe that to Greeks, and it's you know it's, it's funny. People look at the language he uses, the language here of barbarians, and talks about wise and foolish. He's he's just talking about when they the term for barbarians that they were using. It was just people that were non. Greeks, people that were not part of the Greco world, didn't necessarily speak the same language as them. Paul sees himself as a man that cannot rest until every gospel scent is poured out of his life and in his soul. He, he just cannot rest. 1 Corinthians 9, 16 through 17 says this, Yet preaching the gospel is not something I can boast about. I'm compelled by God to do it. I'm compelled by God to do it. It's the difference of saying, it's the difference of saying, man, what do you, what do, you do for a living? Man, I, I, I preach the gospel. Oh, wow, you ought to be grateful that you get to preach the gospel and financially you're, you're fine. No, 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 no. Yes, I'm grateful. But you got to know this. I'm compelled to do it. When I, when I sit around my staff on Tuesday mornings, we reiterate time and time again, this is what we're compelled to do. Everybody would be at this table if they never got a red penny because we're compelled to help people far from God find life in Christ. It's more than a job. For you, it ought to be more than a hobby. It ought to be an obligation. It ought to be an obligation. It's not one of those things that you just hope, maybe one day before I die or before I do this, maybe I'll get to tell somebody about Jesus. No, it's an obligation to share the gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what he said. How terrible for me if I didn't preach the good news. If I were doing this on my own initiative, I would deserve payment. But I have no choice, for God has given me this sacred trust. There it is. It's a sacred trust that he's given us. So there's an obligation for us to carry this message. The truth is that people are sinners. That's the one thing with all of this social stuff and, and Marxism and all the nonsense of trying to make everybody the same. You want a message that does make everybody the same? Here's one. We're all sinners. We're all on the same level everyone i don't care what your skin color is what ethnicity what culture here is a message to everyone that speaks the same we're all sinners we're on a level ground and every one of us can have the saving knowledge of the lord jesus christ and be forgiven for our sins can experience the grace of god god shows no partiality now uh, that concludes my portion of that part of the introduction, but I want to say to you about where that places us in the whole line of what obligation you ought to carry. And and I, I honestly think that every one of us ought to take on the obligation to pray for other people. We ought to feel obligated to do that. To pray because of the power of prayer. And and, and I don't mean just just pray for people when you hear about a crisis, but, but carry somebody before the Lord on a regular basis, whether it's a life change that they need, maybe it's, 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 God needs to a, answer a, a prayer that you know that they've been praying. It, it's, it should be an obligation for us to have a life of prayer. I know you hear about it. We talk about reading. We talk about devotion. We talk about prayer. But, but I'm telling you, it, it shouldn't be just something that you eventually get to and put on your list. It ought to be an obligation. And, and why is that? Because the prayer of righteous people has a powerful effect. A powerful effect. And, and oftentimes you, you might be praying for someone and you think your prayers are ineffective. That you don't see anything going on. You don't, you don't know what's happening. What's happening? as if God is only using you to get something done, as if he's only using you. And, 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 and listen, God has so many means at his disposal that God can use other people to accomplish what you're praying for. But our responsibility is not to worry about the end of it and the outcome. Our obligation should be just to pray. Take those folks before the Lord. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an old age question. Does Prayer change things, or does prayer change people? I think it's a good question, but the answer to me has always been both. It's always been both. Prayer does change things. God responds to prayer. God responds to his people crying out to him. God moves in those circumstances. He even said, you don't have because you don't ask. So he certainly answers prayer. But I'm telling you, I'm just as far convinced that prayer does more to change me. It does more to change me. Because it's put me in that place before the Lord of humility. Where I'm going before God because I got nothing else to offer. And here is the problem. Here is the concern. Here is the situation. Here is the person. Here is the one I love. Here is the thing that I experience. I'm coming before the Lord in all humility. It's at that place where the Lord recognizes that yes, indeed, no matter how prideful Tyrone can be, right now he's decreased. So that I may... Increase so the Lord may increase. It's in that it's in prayer that brings us right into the presence of the Almighty God, right there before Him. And I'm telling you, church, there's no better place to be. There's no better place to be than right there in the presence of the Lord. All of our helplessness has an answer when we pray, all of our hopelessness has an answer when we pray. All of our extremities. Have a point of contact when we pray. It's being right there. We have an obligation to be people of prayer. We also got an obligation to trust God for his wisdom. Trust God for his wisdom. So many people in the Bible experience, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying that because, again, Paul wanted to get to Rome, and in the wisdom of God, he ended up uh, uh, going to Macedonia. And we get to read uh, these great epistles that Paul wrote because that's where the Lord sent him to plant a church, not to Rome, but to, the, to these other places. And we have to learn in all of our life to live in the wisdom of God, that God is wiser than us. You can look at the stories of Bible characters. Abraham, it was nonsense to Abraham's family for him to leave his family and all of that wealth and all of that inheritance and leave that behind and follow a voice of God that says, I want you to leave and I, where am I going, God? You'll know it when you get there. I'll tell you when you get there. You're going to a place you don't know. That was nonsense to his family. It, 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 didn't, it didn't make a whole lot of sense for Jacob to go through all of those things that he went through, all of the family feuds with his dad and the family feud with his father-in-law and, the, and, the, and getting the wrong woman and all of that kind of stuff. It didn't make sense to him until, the, until he had that battle with the Lord and the Lord told him that he was going to be the father of many nations and change his name to Israel. It didn't make sense to Joseph. After God told him he was going to be a great prince and he was going to be a leader and showed him them visions and he had to spend 14 years in prison. It didn't make any sense to him. But then when his brothers, when, when he, they ended up in Egypt and they had all the resources that they need and his brothers came to him, then he was able to look at his family and say, I know you meant this for evil, but God meant this for good. It's trusting in the wisdom of God in our life. It's getting to that place where we're okay with God being wiser than us. Where we're okay with it. We're okay with God being wiser. And we're okay not being able to figure everything out. And listen, don't, I'm, I'm, I'm not, don't think that this don't hit me. I'm the guy that plans everything. And when you, when you get out of the, out of whack with my plan, I'm jacked up this is what I told you to do, this is how I told you to do it, and this is how it's going to work out. I'm the guy that gets all messed up. But I'm learning that God is wiser than me. And it's quite all right to be okay with God being wiser. It's okay not being smarter than God. It's really okay. He's a wise God, and not everything about what I think is best is always best. Every one of us have experienced things when you got to where you got, or landed where you landed, or, or settled where you settled. You look back and think, Man, I would have never thought it was going to happen this way. But thank God that it did. It's okay to trust in the wisdom of God. I'm just, this is a long quote, but it's from J.R. Packer, in which I think is one of the best books ever written on, it's titled Knowing God. Whenever people ask me about books that I think everybody should read, Knowing God is always on the list. It is the best thing that I have read concerning the character of God. But listen to what he says. And it's a rather long quote, but just hang in here with me. He says, these things are written for our learning, talking about the the other people from the Old Testament, the things they experienced. For the same wisdom which ordered the paths, Which God's saints trod in Bible times orders the Christian's life today. We should not, therefore, be too taken back when unexpected and upsetting and discouraging things happen to us now. What do they mean? Why why simply that God in his wisdom means to make something of us which we have not attained yet and is dealing with us accordingly. Perhaps. He means to strengthen us in patience, good humor, in compassion, in humility or or meekness by giving us some extra practice and exercising these graces under specifically difficult conditions. Perhaps he has new lessons in self-denial and self-distrust to teach us. Perhaps he wishes to break us of complacency or unreality or undetected forms of pride and conceit. Perhaps his purpose is to simply draw us closer to himself in a conscious communion. Or perhaps he praying, he's preparing us for some service that we never had any idea we'd be doing. The wisdom of God. It's trusting in the wisdom of God. Romans eleven thirty three says, Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. It's trusting in the wisdom of him. And here's the last thing. I see the band has, has come, and that is the obligation that we have to encourage and to evangelize, to encourage and evangelize. Paul, Paul said it like this in Romans 15 too. We should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. How many of you know you don't even have to step out of your house to hear something that will bring you down it can be something on a podcast you turn on tv maybe it's someone in your home when people leave when they walk out those doors even in our own houses we need to be the ones that come alongside people and encourage them to be the ones that be the counter to the culture everything in the world is is, is for whatever reason Maybe because of what political party we are. Maybe because of what culture we come from or what ethnicity or what skin color we are. Everybody out there is telling us why there's something wrong with you. Why you're off. Why you're jacked up. Why you think this way. You just spend seconds on social media and, and get the feeling I'm not one of them. I'm not in the in crowd. That, that's what people are bombarded with every single day. Can Christians be the ones that start a revolution of encouraging people can christians be the one to start a revolution to come alongside and encourage people and build them up and it's not necessarily that you have to accept and agree with everyone's lifestyle but encouraging words will exhort people and get them in the right direction christians can be part of the revolution for that What what freshness may come in people's lives when when we feel like we got a debt to our neighbors or to our community, to our city, to people no matter what status, rich or poor, to come alongside them and encourage them in the ways of God and help them know that God indeed has a better plan for their life. And finally, I could spend a lot more time on this, but time is drawing near. We have to evangelize. Listen, people don't come to Jesus by osmosis. They don't just drink a particular water. I like Fiji, Fiji I think is the best. They don't just drink Fiji water and boom, Jesus hits them. No, 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 it don't happen that way. You don't, you don't get the right kind of coffee, you don't go to the right donut shop, none of that. You don't hit, hit, eat the right meal. People come to Jesus by us telling them about Jesus evangelism ought to be our thing. Matthew 9, 38 says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. You, you catch this. He's not saying that, the, you know, a lot, lot of times you hear people say, or I did, uh, would hear people say, man, people just don't want to be saved anymore. That ain't true. They're out there. Jesus said that they're out there. The, it ain't the folks out there that, that want Jesus and need Jesus. It's us, the few of us who are not willing to go out there and tell people about Jesus. And that should be one of our obligations. Listen, everybody stand. I know I've done more teaching than preaching. But uh, I'm going to believe God spoke to you and said something into your life uh, that he encouraged you and blessed you. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come and as always i'm going we're going to pray and we're going to go into a song uh, a worship song that's going that's going to take us to the end of the service and these dear folks i've said it many many times they're here because they they really do care about you they care about you and there there may be a need in your life something maybe you share with someone maybe not maybe you just want to connect with someone for prayer maybe something that in the message you can identify with and And you think no not only do i want to embrace that but i want to be accountable for that and i just want somebody to pray with me about it you may need healing obviously want to make a commitment to jesus christ these dear folks here are to hear whatever prayer you need and to join with you and pray with and you can trust that they're going to take that to the lord and trust that god's going to do a work work in you now hear me if you're here and you're watching online and you haven't made a commitment to jesus christ that's first step and best step first step and best step is making a commitment to jesus you don't you don't have to finish this service whether you're watching or whether you're in this building and not engage with the one who created you who saved you with an absolute plan for your life that can begin right now today christ loves you christ died for your sins you just have to confess him Believe that he died for you. Believe that he rose from the dead. And confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And I'm telling you, today starts a new day in your life. Every head bowed, and every eye closed. Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity we have to be together in this house listening to the word of God. What an opportunity. What an opportunity to share your word, to worship together. It's beautiful it's beautiful to be in the house of God it's beautiful to look up on these faces it's beautiful to be able to connect with people far and wide And so Lord I pray that your Holy Spirit has spoken to each one of us helping us Lord God to understand your will, your principles, your way I pray, Lord God, from this day forward for those, Lord God, who learned a new truth or maybe something spiritually just connected, something, Lord, spoke to them. Maybe it wasn't even something new, but today it spoke to them. Let them live that out. Let them live it out loud. For those, Lord God, who who today have made a decision that they're going to trust you as Lord and Savior, let this be the first day of the best days of their life. Father, you're faithful and we thank you for being so good to us. In Christ's name we pray. May the people of God say amen.